Good morning. I'm really glad you're here. I'm speaking at the Alhambra campus today as a part of our Teaming Together series that we're doing with several pastors in the area related to the 17.6 network. And this morning, you're going to be able to hear from Josh Delarosa. Josh is one of our own. He launched out of Church in the Valley in 2007 to plant Orange Crest Community Church in Riverside, and he is the senior pastor there. He has done a fantastic job leading the church to reach out to people, help them come to know Christ, grow up in him. And they're a thriving congregation that we're really excited to be a part of launching. And so Josh is going to speak this morning. Really looking forward to you having the privilege of hearing him and I would just like to say he encourages me in many, many ways. He looks out for me. And he also has looked out for Church in the Valley. Since we launched him out, helped him get started, he's turned around and looked out for our interests as well. So I'd like you to welcome him to the stage. Would you join me in that? Good morning. It's really, it's really a privilege to be here. I've been looking forward to speaking here because it feels more like a homecoming than the rest of these uh, last month's worth of services as we've been kind of rotating to speak at each other's churches. I've been most excited about this. It feels pretty nostalgic. It feels like I'm coming home for the holidays. And so uh, some of you don't know me, but many of you do. And as you heard, I, I pastor a church in Riverside, not far from here, but I'm not originally from Southern California. I was originally uh, born in San Jose. Uh, my family moved north to Sonoma and then to the coast, central, be- uh, central coast of Pismo Beach was the town I was pretty much raised in, and then landed down in Riverside to play tennis at a small, at that time, a small Baptist university, uh, California Baptist University. And as a college freshman, even though I was raised in the church, I arrived there as a college freshman without much interest in really watching, walking with God, uh, but within Probably the first three months, I, I became very aware of my need for, for Christ, and I, I began to really ask more questions, and I made a decision when I was 18 to really follow Christ and get serious about walking with Him, and then that really uh, changed the whole direction of my life. It shaped the focus of my future. Uh, my junior year in college, I met the girl who would become my wife. I met Erica, and on our first date, I pretty much told her, that I wanted to marry her, and uh, it worked out. We're married and uh, still married. That was uh, We got married when I was 21, right after college graduation, and that was over 18 years ago. And so we have three kids. Here's a recent picture of, of my family, and one of my sons is here with, with us or with me this morning. Uh, but it, it really does feel like I'm kind of, I've been away for a long time because this really was my church. Uh, where I did, you know, grow through my 20s, and it feels like I'm I'm back to introduce my kids to their grandparents in a way, like that. And so after a long time away, so bear with me for a minute. I want to introduce you to my to my kids. Gabe is our firstborn, and, and uh, when when he was here, this was this was Gabe, and uh, that was me, if you can believe it. You know, the hair was still intact, and uh, <laughs> life has changed a little, and. Uh, <laughs> But this next picture is the year that we left, and so you'll notice that was that was actually here in the in in the room that was right at that doorway. 
And I was on staff here. When we left here, I'm going to hold it together here. You're used to uh, uh, Randy uh, getting choked up here and there. You're, and uh, I'm not typically the one to do that, but he trained me. So <laughs> When we left here, my son Gabriel was three. And uh, it's been a, it feels like a long time. And uh, now he's 14. He's, he's now taller than his mother. And he's, he's, he's a young man with a real heart. Uh, for the Lord, he's athletic. He's developed some amazing uh, musical abilities that we've been trying to to provide opportunities for him to keep developing. And I'm I'm just so grateful to be his his father. He's uh, he turned 14 yesterday, and so and then Gavin is my other son. This was Gavin when we were here. Uh, he, he had not yet turned a year when we were leaving uh, to plant our church in, in Riverside. He's also an aggressive, now he's 11 years old, he's an aggressive athlete who battles with his whole heart. He's a soccer player, he's a wrestler, and he's developed artistic abilities. He's, he's an artist, so he can draw. And again, we're trying to support and provide the opportunities for him to, to get new pens and new canvases and different things to develop that skill. But when we, when we left here, it felt like we were leaving home. And the big question that we had was, would we ever have a family like this again. This was a very, very meaningful uh, period of life for us. And the, the big question was, we were leaving, we had two young boys, and the question was, would we have friends like this? Would we have people that were and, you know, older than us, who'd walked through life longer and could speak into our lives? Would, would we ever experience this again? Because I look around this room, and some of you are new to me, but there are some dear friends that are here that are all around. And I see many of you at different points through the year, but that was a big question when we left. Here's the next picture of my son and his little brother. And this was Katie Barrett, whose father is Alex Barrett, pastor of campus in Alhambra, of Church in the Valley in Alhambra. And you know, this, this was, again, this was family. And so uh, Grace arrived a few years into our church plant. She melted. Uh, now, if you flip to the next slide, it's the family pick again. My daughter, Grace, uh, she, is, she is seven right now, and she melted my heart when, re- when she arrived. And uh, dads with daughters, you know what that's like. <laughs> uh, different. I didn't think it would get me, but it got me. And uh, I got a shotgun last year for home defense, but also in preparation for the dating years, just planning ahead, kind of, to, you know, I figure out how that shotgun works. And so uh, names are a powerful thing. And so they're like blessings. When you name your children, it can be like a blessing. And so we named our children, gave them names because of what they meant. So Gabriel means great man of God, means devoted to God. And that was what we wanted for him. Gavin means white hawk. And uh, the name originates from, he was one of the knights of the round table. And we've been training him to be a warrior, to be God's warrior. And uh, he's been growing in in that direction. Grace means uh, God's favor. And so uh, she's been a gift to our family during a, a very sweet addition to our family during a very, very challenging period of life for us. Uh, but going back to how I got here, after college, my plan, or at least my hope, was that we would kind of leave Southern California 
and head to Northern California or the Central Coast. And during that time, we got connected here at Church in the Valley. And my wife, her professor was Dr. Nathan Lewis. Nathan's a part of your congregation here. And we arrived here to check out Church in the Valley and become a part of the congregation. Uh, we began training here, learning as much as we could from the leaders here. I was really interested in, in church planting and learning how to lead someday. And, and I had a heart and a, a, a sense I was heading into ministry. But I knew if I was going to endure, I was going to need more training. And so I worked in sales through most of my 20s. And then when I was 27, Randy invited me to be a part of his staff. And another key season of learning began. And at age 29, I'd been on staff here for two years as one of the pastors, and I sensed that God was wrapping up our time at Church in the Valley. And I sensed that God was leading us to move and to plant a new church. And so we desired to reproduce what we had experienced here, the the values and the mission that really had shaped and and changed our lives. We wanted to see other people experience that in a new, new city. And so we moved. And so the Lord led us to plant in Riverside into a neighborhood called Orange Crest. It was a new developing uh, part of our city, lots of young families. Here's a picture of our launch team that came out of this place. This was the CIV launch team to, to plant Orange Crest Community Church. So these were all members of, of your congregation at that point. And everybody on this team sold homes, uh, transis- transitioned their jobs, moved with us all at the same time to move into Riverside, into the Orange Crest neighborhood to get our church up and running. They made a commitment for two years. And after two years, they were free to move back here, but life really began there. They settled, and, and they're, they're all still a part of our congregation. Uh, Randy gave us good people. These are people that served here, that, that led out in different things here, who had played important roles at Church in the Valley. And you may not know this, but for the first two years, your church regularly sent teams, mission teams, to come and to serve at our major events, some of our services. When we were just starting out, especially our preview services, there were teams of people that would drive in for those services to help us man the classrooms and the events and and just support what we were getting off the ground. And so if you've been to our church and if you've served at any event over the last 10 years, would you just raise your hand? I'd love to see that. And look around that, you know, we were, we are your church in Riverside that you guys planted. And I just wanted to say thank you. Families and individuals in our area that did not know Christ have committed their lives to Christ. Generations of people uh, are, are different. And there's an eternal difference that's been made in our community because of your service and your sacrifice in helping us get off the ground. You also may not know, but during the first three years, Church in the Valley supported us financially to get our church off the ground because it takes resources to start a new church. And so it's been nearly 10 years since we left, and we now have two services. We have a quick video we wanted to show, so this kind of gives you a glimpse of life at Orange Crest Community Church.
that's, that's what's going on in our church. Here's a few other pics. This is a picture of our staff Christmas party. Our staff, we have, this is staff and some uh, spouses as well. We, we went and did one of those teppanyaki grill things. That was a lot of fun. And uh, then here's a picture of us at a wisdom conference. Our church is some of our leaders. This was from this year's uh, conference, a training conference in Fort Worth. And back in, back in April, we had a planning meeting, uh, four pastors that are involved in this message series. And so your pastor, Pastor Randy, Alex Barrett, Bevan Unner, and myself, we, we got together and we talked about the power and the potential of teaming together. And so I, I would not be standing here uh, without the investment of, of Randy into my life and into my family and into my core leaders. Uh, I was with my wife at your 30th anniversary celebration just recently, and I, I am deeply, deeply grateful for Randy. Uh, he has sacrificed uh, for your congregation to move forward. He sacrificed for our congregation to move forward. And he challenged me in my 20s to get after sharing my faith. He, he helped me figure out how to do that. He coached me through uh, several opportunities here and really kept saying, Josh, if you're going to launch something healthy in Riverside, you're going to need to know to help, how to help people come to know Jesus Christ and, and what that looks like. And so he coached me through so many different things. He modeled leadership for me, setting an example for me that really has been etched into my mind. I'm, I, I'm standing, uh, I've been standing on his shoulders for many, many years. And uh, we, we have, Randy meets with me in Norco. We meet halfway every other week. And he just coaches me still through personal life and challenges and questions I've got about ministry. And, and I'm tremendously grateful for him. Here's a picture of us uh, at kind of a training gathering, Antioch Project training gathering in our church office. And we're celebrating Randy's 60th birthday just recently. And so he's, he's a dear friend and brother and, and you have got a battle-tested, faithful, godly leader here at Church in the Valley. And you may not realize the impact that he and Cindy have made throughout um, Southern California, but it, it, his investment runs deep, and, and I believe the best years still lie ahead. And so I'm very grateful for him. I, I want to focus in this morning. We've been, we've been rotating uh, to each other's churches to speak, and I don't know if when we were planning this series back in April that we realized this was going to land kind of around the end of the baseball season, the World Series and all of that, but it's been great timing. Uh, I know many of you, I think there's some of you that are Dodger fans and, and you're still recovering from that, and um, I am the furthest from a Dodger fan that you could be. I'm a Giants fan, and so, I, I, but I come in peace, and, uh, and, I, and I genuinely felt for you, Dodger fans, um, because this was a great year of, of good baseball. Uh, the Giants uh, ended the season dead last with the worst record, tied for the worst record in baseball, whereas the Dodgers just dominated all year long. And so I, I felt for my Dodger friends, like, man, how, how do you play that well? And then at the end, you just don't get to taste that victory. Because when it comes to baseball, you know, you're, you're looking forward to that celebration. You're looking forward to that that big win, the most important win. And there's this team celebration. There's a party when you win. And so if, if you were a Little League World Series champion, then you, you'd get this huge celebration. Here's a picture of the Japanese. This is the Little League World Series champs for 2017. They beat out the best team from the U.S., which was a team in Texas. But this team, they, they dominated the World Series for, for Little Leaguers. And ja the Japanese uh, 
have been defeating. They've been pretty much, I think they've won five of the last eight in, in this decade or that, you know, and I, I might have my math. I'm not a math person. So, uh, but they've won five times <laughs> for the, for the little league world series, but huge party, huge celebration. Now in high school, if you become CIF champs, there's an even, you know, it's a huge celebration. Here's a picture of the El Toro high school baseball team. These were the CIF Southern section champs. Okay. Lake forest. Now on even you know, larger stage would be college baseball, much higher level of play, higher, you know, or you know, huge accomplishment. Here's a picture of the University of Florida 2017 College World Series champions. But, I mean, even higher than that, a few weeks ago, you know, you have the most exciting back and forth battle between major league teams and the Houston Astros. They emerged as the World Series champs. I'm not going to put their picture up because I know how that must feel. So I'm not going to put that picture up. So, but here's last year's champs. Okay, here's last year's champs, the Chicago Cubs. This was a great story. After a 108 year drought, the Chicago Cubs win the World Series. It was an amazing seven game series. Now, question for for you: Has anybody here ever been to a championship team parade? You ever been to a championship team parade? Anybody? Okay, we got we got a few. Okay, where you're there with. Hundreds of thousands of fans. Here's a picture of the Chicago, look at this, championship team. After 108 years, everybody comes out to something like this. They'd gotten close several times, but in 2016, they finally took home the commissioner's trophy. This is an estimated 5 million you know, fans. They showed up to this parade. And it gives the, the, the Cubs the opportunity to bring home this valued trophy to their hometown fans, and to celebrate. And imagine what it must have been like. Imagine the thrill of those players to be before such a huge fan base. I mean, in a typical baseball game, you're in front of tens of thousands of people screaming for you when you do something right. Now, this is millions of people shouting and screaming for you. Now, did, did you know that there is a victory parade referred to in the Bible? There's a victory parade. And it's not tied to an athletic competition it's actually connected to a cosmic war a cosmic battle and so if, if you have that listening guide i invite you to pull it out and you can jot down some thoughts as we walk through this but in order to really understand the celebration of the, the victory parade in the bible we need to know more about the battle and the teams involved in, in a spiritual sense at the very highest level there are really only two teams there is just two teams you have on one side the world's team and on the other side you have God's team. And the, the Bible describes the world's team in this way. It's as, as people without hope. Now, I, I used to play for that team. I used to play for this team. In fact, at one point, you, you did as well. And, and you may still identify with, this, with that team. Or maybe you've become a Christ follower so you become part of God's team. But in the Bible, here's what we read. This is a description of the world's team. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. Paul writes, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Paul is he's writing to a group of people who would become Christians in modern-day Turkey, in the city of Ephesus. And he, he says, look, church, he's, he's saying, this, this, is who you, this is who you were. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. You you'd crossed... God's boundary lines, you were doing life your own way. And he says, you were like living corpses. 
And verse 2 says, In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Verse 3, All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. And so this is written by Paul, and, and he's, say, he's saying all of us, He's saying, like all of us, like the rest, we were. Paul is basically identifying with the world's team, saying, look, that, that was me. That was, that was all of you, he's saying. In fact, this is the team that we automatically become a part of when we arrive on this planet. And since the fall of Adam and Eve, all humanity lives in a broken state, in a broken condition without hope. And so the world's team is, let's break this down. It's described in this way. It's those who are dead in sin. The picture painted here is this. It's that we are physically alive, but we're spiritually dead. You know, we're breathing. We have movement. We're alive, but we're spiritually dead. Paul writes, we follow the ways of this world. We're being led by God's enemy. We're moving in a, in a different direction than God. We're heading towards judgment. We're, we find ourselves under God's wrath and a horrible future awaits we're slaves to sin. You, you see in verse 3, it talks about gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature. There's this pull on our lives where we're, we feel enslaved to some things that are moving in opposition to God. Romans chapter 6 talks about this as well. It says, we, we basically don't have the power to live for God's ways. Our default in life is just, it's, our default is set to sin. And also he says, we're enemies of God, meaning, you know, we're, we, are, we are oppositional towards God natively. It, it's a pretty hopeless predicament that we see in Scripture, right? And if this were a baseball team, it would be like one of those ball games that seemed impossible to turn around. And so right when, right when everyone starts turning the TV off or driving home early from the stadium, because there's some situations that there is just no way to come back, right at that point, God, He brought in someone who turned the battle around and He got the save. So in verse 4, we see this. We see God offering hope. And many of you here, you've experienced this hope. And if you haven't, then, then you need to know this is available to you. This is, this is available to you even today. Verses 4 and 5, Paul writes, But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. Just when it looked like the, the game was over, the war was one and was it looked like this was done jesus the son of god steps into our world he pays the penalty for our sin and our rebellion and he rescues us from life and eternity without him and then a new team emerges and it's god's team so god's team is described in this way it's it's people who've who've found life and it's those who are brought to life ephesians 2 verses 4 and 5 christ's death paid our penalty his resurrection brings us it brings us a new life in him we no longer live for ourselves uh, we're saved by god's grace grace we 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 deserve nothing but we've been brought to life it's like we were dead and he he resuscitated us he brought us back to life jesus is the master so he he's the boss we're no longer a slave to sin we're no longer held captive just by our desires as cravings that we were gratifying that was the old pull 
Now our heart, our desires actually, because God's spirit lives inside of us, now our heart is drawn towards the ways of God's kingdom. There's still a battle going on, but there's a new power there that wasn't available before. We're friends of God. We were enemies before. We were alienated. But now in this amazing turn of events, he has really flipped our world upside down. And now what it means is enemies and foes have become followers. And so it's this amazing paradox that we see here. And what it does is it sparks a celebration. It sparks a victory parade. A a battle has been won. And that victory parade marches through time. It doesn't march through streets of Chicago, but it marches through time. And there's this picture illustrated in the Bible of this victory parade. And people that we wouldn't have expected to be in that parade have joined the parade. Uh, This summer, my family was in Colorado. We were on a family vacation around the 4th of July. And so the little town that we were in was Granby, Colorado, just outside the entrance to the Rocky Mountains. And we found out that there was a 4th of July city parade. And so we thought, great, we'll go and we'll enjoy this. And so took the kids and we found a place on the curb and it was, it was a small town. And it was like everybody showed up for this parade. And there were, there were people in the parade and floats that you would expect to see. And, and you know, there was the school teachers, there was the firemen, there were the, the mayor was there, there was uh, veterans who served in the military, there was a marching band. That's what you'd expect to see in the parade. And then, but then there was some unusual uh, parade entries. There was a, the funniest that I, that I thought was, there was a guy showing off his sound system. He had like a 19, 1990s era Chevy Suburban lowered with a really good sound system. And he had a number on the side of his car and he was just driving down the street and, you know, like without a smile, just driving. I'm like, I'm waiting for the show. I'm waiting for someone to jump out and do a dance. And now he's just showing off his sound system. And, and I was a little confused about it. And there were a few others. I thought this is confusing because typically, typically major victories culminate in a parade. It's, it's a celebration of some sort. And so I want you to see this, this celebration that the Bible refers to. Because there's a scene in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And it's a, it's a victory parade made up of people who've decided to follow Jesus and take their place in the long line of those who've come before them and will go after them. And so here's a description of that parade written by Paul. He is formerly an enemy. In fact, he was a leader on the opposing team. He had a bitter hatred towards Christ and a bitter hatred towards Christians. And, but then Paul's life was turned upside down by Jesus. And so this is what Paul writes. He writes in 2 Corinthians 2.14, But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ. And through us, He spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. It's interesting. I want, I want to read it again because it's, it's, it's an unusual passage. Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. So long long before athletic parades was the victory parade where a conquering general would lead his troops through a city after a major victory. And in the processional was also these enemy, these former enemy prisoners. They were forced to now march with this new general. And so that's the picture that Paul has in his mind of a Roman victory parade. 
But in this parade, it's, it's different. Christ is at the head of the parade, and, and he is leading his people in celebration after a major victory. And Paul, he finds himself in the parade. He is once a foe, former enemy. He's marching in the parade, which is why Paul re, he writes that Christ always leads us. He's saying, look, I, I'm in this procession. And if you're in Christ, if you follow Christ, you become a Christ follower, then this is a picture of how Christ has, he has led you out of spiritual prison. He's rescued you from spiritual death and bondage, and you've now yielded your life to follow him. He's the Lord, and he's leading your life in a new direction. You're moving in a different direction than the world is moving in. But you aren't just like hopping onto a float and waving at people and throwing candy at the onlookers. Everything in this parade, in the victory parade, has a purpose. And the purpose is this. It's, you find this in verse 14. Our role is this. It's to spread everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. That's your purpose. It's one of the major purposes you can live out in this life. It's to spread everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. With military leaders in their victory parades, incense bearers walked along the leader and so that this fragrant aroma would hit the crowd and everyone knew when they smelt the incense that the parade was coming and that the leader was, was passing by. The incense bearers indicated the leader is coming by and so it pointed people to look for the leader. And in our case, if you're in Christ, then you and I, we're like those incense bearers. We're to spread the aroma, we're to be the aroma. And as you live out the ways of God's kingdom, people, they notice that. And if you live it out... And if you share the message of Jesus with others, then the world around you, the people around you, they're, they're drawn to our leader. And one of the most exciting aspects of life is to be in this parade and to help others become a part of God's team. And so notice how this celebration, it says it's spreading everywhere. It's occurring out in the world. You know, we would think that the celebration is just like a Sunday morning where we gather and where we sing together and we, we celebrate what Jesus has done. But Paul's saying this, this spreads everywhere. So at our church, and I know this is a priority for your church, is we want our people to live on mission in their world. And here's the basic flow of how this looks. This is how we spread everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him as we share Jesus with others around us in real life. And it, it doesn't always go in this order, but generally it looks like this. Many of you have seen this flow. I learned this flow from your pastor here. But you meet, you meet someone. You meet someone. Maybe it's someone at work or in your neighborhood. Maybe it's a coworker. And then you invest in them. You, you, you show God's love in real tangible ways. You see needs that come up in their life and you, you meet those needs. You're a part of that, part of serving them. You're making time for them. You're looking for ways to just love people. But then it's not enough to just meet someone and invest in them. And you take the risk and you, you invite them. You invite them to maybe a, a men's gathering, a women's gathering. Maybe you invite them to a small group thing or a, maybe it's something that, maybe it's a, the church service. You invite them to that and you include them in your life. You introduce them to your circle of relationships because it takes it takes a team. Anytime someone commits their life to Christ, you can almost always see these the web of relationships that was involved in that. And, and two things are very important at this point: uh, relationships and responsibilities. Within a few months, if people do not have relationships and responsibilities, if they don't get to know and get connected to people, and then begin to take a part in what's happening. You know, typically people tend to move on. And then we share with people. We share, we clarify. All of us, we need to have a clear understanding of what it means to be a Christ follower. Oftentimes, we're too afraid to ask or we're too embarrassed to ask. But people need to clearly understand. 
their need for God, what God has done to meet that need, how Jesus defines following him. How do, how do I respond? And so this is the flow of how you and I can spread everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. So Paul continues. Look at verse 15. Paul, Paul writes, For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. And this parade, it impacts people. Verse 16 says, To the one, we are the smell of death. To the other, the fragrance of life. It's like a fragrance that hits the crowd and it makes an impact. And it divides people into two groups. Those who are moving towards God, some people, they get around you and, and it, people keep moving towards God. And there's those who are moving away. And so to the one we smell like life and God uses us, he uses you to lead people to abundant and eternal life. And it's really as a church or a group of people are focused on the right values, then it's create, it just creates a curiosity. It's very attractive and it draws people to your leader, to Jesus. Sadly, to the other group, this victory prey, this, you know, Christians and, and, and the aroma, it's, it's like the smell of death, it says to the other group. In other words, our life and our message for this world is really a matter of life and death. And so what this does for us is as a church and as individuals, it challenges us to look at what impact are we having and evaluate what is the scent that people pick up as they interact with us, as they interact and do life with us. Verse 16, it ends with a challenge. Really, or it's a question, actually. Who is equal to such a task? How did we get into this parade? It's not, it's not because we were equal to the task. It's only because we've lined up behind Christ and we're following him. He's at the head. We're following him. Which is really why Paul begins this whole, these, this whole set of verses with thanks be to God. He's really, he recognizes this is what Christ has done. And this is a parade that he has he has, through his own blood, bought our admission to be a part of. And this is a parade you want to be in. Right now, you, you think about this passage and you think, I don't, know if I, I don't know if that's a parade I really want to be in. But Because right now, it's, it's pretty much hidden. You're in this giant parade marching with everyone who's followed Christ before you. And who will, you know, you're, you're joining this major parade. I, it's hard to get a glimpse of it. Every once in a while, though, we, we see visibly this parade. And here, here's the major thing that we celebrate. It's evangelism. The major win that we celebrate is evangelism. When people hear the good news of Jesus and respond in faith, they get baptized, we cheer them on, we celebrate with them. And there's, for me, there's probably nothing like seeing people come to Christ. Every time I see a baptism, I'm reminded of this great spiritual reality that has taken place. In the spiritual realm. Here's a picture of a baptism at our church. A man named Mario. The, the picture is, I, I was dead and I was without hope. So I'm, you're standing there in the water. And this is a picture of being spiritually dead. Before you go under the water, this is the old, this is the old me. And then you go under the water and it's the picture of Jesus. He paid my penalty. Jesus was buried. My sin has been paid for. The war has been won. And then, you know, in baptism... A picture is Jesus rose and he has given me new life. This gal came to Christ in, in January um, of, of 2017. Uh, she was shot in the Las Vegas shootings. Um, she was, she's alive, but she, she was shot 
and a bullet came through, pierced her clavicle. She had major surgeries. And she was at church that following Sunday in a sling when we were talking about living unfazed through tragedy and, and uh, things you hadn't expected. And, and so you can bet everybody was a captive audience that Sunday. And she has been de- debriefing that with, with us. She looks at life very different. And she said, I had already settled the issues I, I, with God. I was in opposition to God and I yielded my life to Christ. So she looked at this whole thing very, very different. And because God had rescued her. The, the reality is if you're in Christ, God has rescued you from darkness. He's changed your life. And so you have tremendous gratitude. And so I myself, I remember where I was before knowing Christ. And so I well up in gratitude when I think about what God has done. And that gratitude motivates our participation in ministry and church life. The gratitude of just remembering what God has rescued you from, brought you from death to life. That keeps me moving forward. What a thrill to participate in this. Here's a picture of just one of our baptisms. It's thrilling to see lives changed. I have another baptism picture I want to show you. This is, this is a, a recent one. I was actually, this was uh, last weekend. I was in Alhambra. I wasn't even at this baptism, but it went on without me, which is great. Uh, but this is uh, one of my staff members in there, Cody. Can't, he's the far end of the tub. And this is Albert, and his son is named Archer. And the big question when we left this place to plant a new church was, would God take care of us? Would, would he take care of my family, my kids? We have, we have a much larger family now. The, the picture is exciting because if you look at these, these faces, these little girls lit up. That's my little daughter, Gracie, on the, on the left. And they're screaming and cheering for their friend, Archer, who, who has come from death to life. God has been faithful. He keeps adding to our family, our spiritual family. And so I want to encourage you here at Church in the Valley, every time someone trusts in Christ, every time someone commits their life to Christ, it's through your teaming, it's through your participation, you are a part of that. It always is a team victory when people come to Christ. Through your collective serving, through your collective giving, your singing when you unite your voice, your your training together, your sharing your faith, it's through participating together. I have one, as I wrap up, I have one major regret when it comes to team celebrations. It has to do with my favorite team, the Giants. In 2010, 2012, and 2014, they were the World Series champions. And it was a very exciting period of time. And I was up in Northern California in San Jose, and they had won the World Series, and they were back in San Francisco for the team parade and the team celebration in San Francisco. And I'm in San Jose, and I'm thinking, I can go to the Giants parade. And me and my brother-in-law, we were trying to make plans and figure out how we would do that. And as we looked at that opportunity, we started, like reality started setting in. Like, eh, it's San Francisco. Where are we going to park? It's already hard to find parking in San Francisco. Now, now you have tons of Giants fans and people clogging up. We're, how are we going to figure this out? What, what if we have to take the bus to get close enough? And it was like, this is just too much work. And we're here on vacation. I don't know if we want to do this. And so we opted to watch it on the television. Well, as you can imagine, we were both regretting that (laughs) decision. Because this was our chance to celebrate our team as world champions, and we missed out. And I just, I want to challenge you to not miss out on playing a part, like right, be right in the action of this celebration, of this team victory, of what God is doing on earth in this time 
Do all you can to take part in events, sing out on Sundays, join together, be engaged when, when there's instruction, make application, respond as God's prompting you to change your life, share your faith. When people are being baptized, cheer them on, say that, that's the most exciting decision. I'm so proud. I'm so you know, excited to be part of, of your life and to celebrate this with you because now is the time to join people in this parade because you have the hope of the world inside of you. After this life is over, all of the opportunities that we have right now will have passed us by. And so there is an eternal impact made through your teaming together here at Church in the Valley. And it's a joy for me to be here and just to see all of you in this setting after 10 years. And there's a strong pull in this world away from the things of the Lord. And so because of that, there's a great need for for help and for the hope that we have and that you have to offer. And what God has done here through the years has been a blessing and a help to so many beyond Diamond Bar. And so be encouraged, Church in the Valley. God is using you. He's using your, your, uh, just your example, your support, your people. And we, we love you all. And we owe you a debt of gratitude. And, and I, I just want to encourage you as you press on into whatever the Lord has for you next. It's an exciting time to lean into God and keep trusting Him. And we look forward to linking arms and pushing forward together for the sake of the kingdom. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this uh, congregation and the work you've been doing here. Thank you for your great love for us that you put on display through the cross. Lord, you have changed our lives and given us an opportunity to know you. For those that are here that are still sorting out what that would really look like, Lord, I pray that You'd bring people to the place where they yield their lives to follow you and they experience the best life possible, Lord. I pray that you'd answer questions that people are wrestling with. And as, as even as summary sorting uh, involvement and participation, Lord, I pray you would really move and work and draw people to deeper commitment as we follow you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.